Welcome to Mastering Life's Adventures, an educational podcast about tapping into your true self, the soul, your soul, the substance of your life, to discover what life's ups and downs are really about, and how to have a greater sense of purpose, peace, joy, and fulfillment. I am Dr. Judith Holder, your host, coach psychologist, fellow seeker who enjoys diving into the connections between spirituality, psychology, wellness, and your everyday life's adventures. All preparing and polishing you like the fastest of magnificent diamond to be your best self. If you're craving more from your life, you are in the right place. Come, let's journey together and transforming what you know into who you really are. Mastering Life's Adventures begins now. Hi, I'm back. Talking with Brahman, and he's focused on, in this episode, love is the key for awakening. Love, why that is so important. And it's really ties ties into what we've been talking about in part one, but I, I welcome you to go back and listen to, about this whole notion that we look so much externally to ourselves, and for the good and for the happiness and for the contentment. But we have to realize we need to go within and think about the treasures that exist within us. One of those treasures is love. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, guys. It's me again, Baram. I'd like to share from my experience how love has brought me to where I am today. So... I started my practice in sincerity when I was in college in the U.S. I was in 24, 25 at the time. Because of my deep passion to know myself and to know God and my connection with God, I made up my mind a non-negotiable commitment that I would sit in meditation for one hour in the evening and one hour in the morning. No excuses. Only if there was an earthquake would I not do it. Yeah, Mm. Or if the aliens were coming to hijack me then. But otherwise, no no excuses. Mm. So while in college, I would sit in meditation from 6 to 7 in the evening and 6 to 7 in the morning. And because of my deep commitment to the practice, while I was in class around 4.35, I had an internal alarm clock which told me, ding, six o'clock sitting, buddy, six o'clock. And my heart would leap with joy. But, oh my God, I'll be again sitting on that cushion. It's like someone who's deeply in love with someone having a meeting with them again at six o'clock. So everything, my mind would just settle down into a peaceful state. And I would sometimes leave the classes early enough to be on my cushion on time to sit quietly and to love, just love and adore and thank God for the blessings I enjoy every day. Same would happen in the morning. I would wake up at four in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. I would be semi-awake. And by five, I'm out of bed. And by six, I'm on the cushion. That kind of disciplined, loving practice, Judith, is what allowed me to experience insights upon insights. And by insights, what I'm talking about is an experience of reality that goes beyond the normal consciousness. We can't, we can't force insights to happen. Yeah, We can't buy ourselves insights on Amazon either. 
but we can create the conditions within ourselves for the insights to arise. And that's what brings us closer and closer to the different dimensions of reality that are far more spectacular than we can ever imagine. Mm. When you say that, what I came to my mind was is when you hear that ding, is actually the ding of your soul. Yes. And your soul is saying, don't be fixed, don't forget. Don't forget. We have a meeting. Come along. That's right. And it was a great loving that you're in the process of doing because your soul says you're consistent. And this is what the soul wants is consistency. Yes. And what you do something by. And that soul of your soul can be able to awaken you to greater realities because you have now created a space and you've created some silence so you can hear and be in attunement with your soul. And so it's yeah. like a, a, a great love adventure that you're on and traveling yeah. that sometimes we don't even know that can happen because we're not consistent. Along with consistency, Judith, there has to be the zeal, the passion to wake up. Because a lot of people are consistent with wishy-washy fashion. That doesn't work. The consistency has to be blended with zeal, this deep mm-hmm. passion to be willing to do whatever it takes to wake up. Mm-hmm. And there we come to this other point. By the time I graduated in 1983, the good Lord was sending me messages, SMS messages. Yeah, And what I was told in my consciousness during my practice and even during my waking moments was that, Bharam, now you'll be going back to India in mm-hmm. search of teachers and teachings. And you will not work once you get there. And that was this incredibly scary what for me, Judith? Because for from the age of 18 to the age of 28 or something, I've been working freelance, supporting myself along with the dad's support. Mm-hmm. But how will, I, how will I manage? I was asking myself. I'm going, I'll be going back to India, almost a foreign country because I lived outside for 18 years. Yeah, in Lagos and in the US. Mm-hmm. I hardly spoke the language even. So not work. You will not work. You will be focused on the practice and you will let life look after you. Mm. Yeah? Life look after me? How will that happen? The doubts and the fears, okay? And I would be, in the nights, I would walk on the in the campus crying and weeping and saying, why, why can't I do a little bit of work to support myself? Nope. You will dedicate every moment of your life to awakening, because you cannot ride two horses going in opposite directions, nor can you chase two rabbits at the same time. Your focus has to be on awakening and life will look after you. Trust me. It was one of the most scariest decisions in my life, Judith, to leap from my comfort zone into this total uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Then I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I went. And you'll be amazed, Judith. You will be amazed at how magically, how mysteriously, how amazingly life did look after me. I lived in the mountains, usually on solitary retreats, mm-hmm. in cottages for uh, for which I was paying five rupees a day. You can imagine what kind of cottage that was. Five rupees is a cent or something. Yeah, we out in the jungles, no electricity, no water. 
just bears and panthers and scorpions and snakes and everything else. But I was not harmed. I was not harmed. And with the little budget that I did have, and then friends supporting, family supporting, without me asking. I didn't even ask for it. But they volunteered because they said that if they had my uh, courage mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. commitment, they would be doing the same thing. They would lead the rat race also. But they didn't have my courage and my fortitude. So they were willing to support me. Mm -hmm. So with that support from friends and family, I was able to leave India and travel to Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Japan without working. So life does look after us. When you love it, life loves you back immensely and supports you and safeguards you. But people don't understand that. They have to go through that fear. I went through that fear. I was horrified in making that choice. But then it was a free fall and I was held. Mm. And I was guarded. And I was guided in magical ways. When you're talking about that wonderful experience of walking by faith, not by sight. Yes. And that there's this wonderful thing that when you're obedient to that inner calling or that voice that is telling you something, then at first it's initiation. Or are you going to move forward with being asked of you? Because you always have a choice, yay or nay, to do that. But also... We realize that in the grander scheme of things, in this planet Earth that we exist in, there is the Divine Mother. And the Mother, in Mother Nature, which you were in, <laughs> was supporting you and holding you as you're moving forward and being obedient to the promptings of your inner self, guiding you to have certain experiences so that you could be able to help others to understand that this is a path that they too can take. Because we have to also be examples. Because people don't know what they don't know. And then they see it and they say, oh, yeah, I want to be more of that. Like you said with the other mentor that you did have. I, I liked what I saw, you know, and I wanted to be more of that. And, and I think what God is wanting is more role models on planet Earth so that people can see that there's a higher way. There's another way that can be taken that builds back into that quality that we began talking about of love. That you can love, you can cultivate love by being obedient, but also you may have it naturally within you. And your soul is always prompting you to know how to maintain a harmony, how to maintain the inner balance in yourself if we listen to ourselves. So I think love, but before you can have to have love, you also have to have some degree of listening, <laughs> awareness that you were talking about in um, part one of our episode here. You know, there's some some of that taking place. Do you have a thoughts about that? It is love for God primarily, Judith, not love for another human being, mm -hmm. but love for God primarily. That's where the real security is. Not in money, not in power, not in name and fame. The love of God that's where the true, immeasurable security is. Because you're protected and guided in astounding ways. Let me give you one example. I have countless examples, but just one interesting little one. I've lived in about four different caves during my practice sessions. And as you know, caves don't have doors and windows. <laughs> and they're usually in places where there are wild animals running around. <laughs> Okay, it was a scary experience. Snakes, cobras. Now, there was this one cave in the Himalayas, 
huge, beautiful cave. And the, my toilet out in the wilderness was better than any five-star hotel in the world. Oh, magnificent vista of uh, mountains and uh, brilliant. Okay. Anyway, on the day I left that cave and came back down because it was getting cold, I used to sleep on, I had put a plastic sheet on the floor. On that, I had my yoga mat. And on that, I had my sleeping bag. That's how I slept in the cave. On the day I was leaving, I packed up my sleeping bag. I rolled up my mat. But then when I lifted the plastic sheet, Judith, my heart skipped a beat. Mm. Right under my head, a Himalayan centipede, mm. about a foot long, had made its nest. It had made its nest under my head and it had not harmed me for the one month that I was there. Mm. Can you imagine? It was wow. a nest and it uncalled itself and came out of its nest. And it I never even knew it was there. Fantastic. Yes. The weapon I had over there in a cave or in the wilderness when I lived in the wilderness was love. No machine guns, no machetes. That's not what you will be zapped. You harm life and life will harm you back in amplified form. Mm -hmm. But when you love it, it loves you back in amplified form also. Mm -hmm. That's the only protection. Only protection. Loving God and you're protected in incredible ways. Yeah, I, I can understand that because the, the words that are going through my mind when you're saying that is love is the alchemical key. Absolutely. And, no awakening without it. Mm -hmm. There's no awakening to this other dimension. You can't access it without love. Mm -hmm. No amount of knowledge will get you there. Mm -hmm. It's knowledge coupled with love. That's mm -hmm. where it opens doors for us. Do you have any thoughts about how to cultivate love for those who do not necessarily understand love at the level that you're mentioning? Will they understand the human aspect of love, which may be a stepping stone to the greater love, but how do they cultivate that love for God? The best way is through association, to be in the presence of someone who embodies it. And to watch, that's why we have retreat centers, ashrams, monasteries, where you're in the presence of someone who is modeling love, who is an embodiment of love. And I've had the great fortune of being in the presence of such teachers in India, Nepal, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Japan. Magnificent teachers just come in their presence and you want to cry because it's, it's, the tears just start flowing for no reason. You're so happy to be in their presence. We need to find such teachers and commit to the practice that they're asking us to engage in. Because just being there and loving the teacher and finding that love is not enough. We have to also practice. Yeah, I, I can see that very clearly. Um, and having that, having other individuals in which you see them practicing, that inspires you to want to do similar, to do the practice. Their kindness, their gentleness, their compassion, it just flows out of them effortlessly. And we're touched in the deepest levels of our being by being in their presence. In India, well, not just India, it's called darshan. Yeah, mm. 
Mm-hmm. You travel different. Uh, you travel miles uh, over mountains and valleys to be in the presence of a realized teacher. Because just in that presence, when that teacher looks at you, gazes at you with his eyes, there's something comes through. I don't know if you have heard of what is called eye beams. Oh, energy that's energy uh, coming forth. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Just like we have a remote. We're changing channels, but we don't see what's the beam, the infrared mm-hmm. coming out. But a goldfish can. It has the capacity, but we can't. Mm-hmm. When we're in the presence of someone who is able to see through our delusions into how profound we are, then that transfers into us in some mystical way. Mm-hmm. But usually mm-hmm. we're in, in the company of people who see us as human beings, mm-hmm. flesh and blood, nothing else. And so we collude with each other to maintain our limited versions of ourselves. But when a spiritual teacher sees you and loves you, that exchange is transformative, Mm -hmm. magically transformative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We start to believe in ourselves that, yes, I'm not just uh, so limited in my scope. There's so much yet that's possible for me. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a rebirthing experience. It's like being born again when you're seen with the eyes of love from someone who has that clarity and that spiritual connection. It's as if they're seeing you in the immaculate image, in yes. the immaculate of the purity of who you really are, seeing Absolutely. past this human flesh or these imperfections that we do have, and loving and being loving kindness. And sending forth that energy, which energetically you feel, because we all are energy, whether we're realizing it or not. The universe is energy. The more we get more pure in that energy, the more we come in greater alignment with that pureness of love and can be loved greatly and expansively as that guru or that teacher is showing us how to be able to do that. Yes. There's a saying which you may be familiar with, that uh, when a thief meets a saint... He only sees his pockets. But when a saint meets a thief, he sees a potential saint. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we can only see outside of us what we see inside. Correct. If we don't see ourselves correctly, we see everything is flawed because we are flawed. But when our vision clears, then everything is just immaculately perfect. Everything is just brilliantly, dazzlingly perfect. Right, right. And that is the chorus of how we move and dissolve the old momentums of what we think love is to a higher vibration and awareness of what that passion and the trueness and feeling that burning in one's heart. It's like you can be on fire with love. You have to be willing mm-hmm. to give your life for it. Yes, you have to be willing to give your life. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I will not work. I'll go into this unknown. I'll stay in the jungle, stay in the whatever I have to do. I was willing to place my life for awakening. But most people have, don't have that going all the way through. Well, like, like you said before, and other people said around you, courage to go all the way through. and determined to, because you, you're wanting something more of a substance. It anchors in this, this kind of fire of energy of just loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm sure you know of this example where 
if you put a plank, a solid plank between two high-rise buildings, maybe 50 feet away from each other, and you ask someone to cross that high, that plank, no, no railings, and you say, okay, I'll give you a thousand bucks, just cross. Most people won't do it. 50,000 bucks, still they won't do it. But if it is their child over there on the other side, in danger, they'll do it. Because now the courage arises. Mm -hmm. The courage arises because of the love. Mm -hmm. There's no love for money, but there's love for someone that you care about. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what sparks the courage, Judith. That's what sparked my courage to say, yes, I will not work and I will trust, trust life. But we're not loving enough. That's the, that's the tragedy. We're not loving enough. Our love is very conditional. Yeah, I think we've been conditioned to love in a certain way, but based upon our upbringing that we do have. And what you're talking about is breaking those shackles of that conditioning that has taken place and move it into the curious and the, and the awesomeness of who, of who God is and the universe can be. And that's why some people take walks in nature. Because it shows you the immensity of, of God and his source. So that's one way in which a person gets in contact with this greater sense of love and a passion and appreciation to mm -hmm. Mother Nature that it brings. Some people do it through certain spiritual music that they listen to that puts oh. them in bliss. Yes. <laughs> I have so much music which just elevates me to the heavens. And I've been hearing it since I was a kid. And I can't get enough of it. Same songs again and again. It's all about... Where are you, God? Where, let me show, let me see your face, basically. And that's the same thing that the soul <laughs> is wanting. The soul is saying, I love you, God. I want to reunite with you. I want yes. to connect with you. Yes. How can I do this? This is where sometimes people get into, well, this urge, back to what I said in, in, in part one, is the soul is like, oh, we need more of this. We need more of that. We need, but the soul says, no, 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 no. That's not what it is. Please listen. And what you said you did was take time in your meditation, six to seven, have quiet time, I'm willing to go within, cultivating that. So it allows you to create the, create the, the, the vacuum or the container for a lot of love to flow through and out into the world, because that's what the world needs is more love in its yes. purest sense, <laughs> to take place. Any other additional thoughts? I'd like to share my thoughts on how to make music out of our moments. Please do. Judith, suppose there's a master musician, master pianist, who in every performance enthralls the audience with his playing. Where is that music coming from, Judith? Where is that enthralling music coming from? I would say it would be coming, if you're asking me specifically that question, I would say it's coming from the innate qualities of within that person and that creativity that they've tapped into that allows them to be centered and in that centeredness they're having that energy flow through them so they're playing to the what the audience needs because music is healing it's refreshing it gives to individuals in the right vibration and right tone tonalities it's helping the soul to evolve consciously or unconsciously that's one of the beautiful things about spiritual or sacred music that can be done for a person so that would be my immediate thoughts but i know you have some thoughts about this <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the music comes not just from the pianist's skill 
but it comes from the confluence of the two, the piano and the skill of the musician. Because if the piano is not well tuned, even the best musician will not be able to bring out rich music. Are you understanding? Mm -hmm. So the confluence. Mm -hmm. So life is this perfect piano. It's already there in its perfection. But if we perceive it as negative when it comes to us in a in the form of a challenge, then that piano won't play properly. So by acquiring the skill to discern the fact that every moment is a moment of choice, we can choose personal excellence or we can choose fear, doubt, and insecurity. So to make music out of our moments, we require the skill to play life in its various guises, in its various forms, the good, the bland, and the ugly. It's all an invitation to perfect ourselves. But if you don't touch it correctly, it will not bring out the music. The music mm. arises when we see life's perfection is already perfect. Now we just have to perfect our skill in touching it in the right manner. What I hear in that that you're saying is, is that when you're looking at the convergence between the instrument, both instruments, you're an instrument <laughs> in terms of your skill and the instrument, you know, physical instrument of the um, particular instrument that you're playing, when there is that convergence, you're able to play harmoniously. It's taking place when there is some difficulties with that instrument, because you're talking about instrument of life being music. There's really no necessarily quote unquote imperfections of what life is sending your way. But in fact, you're not, you have the skill set, so the attunement to know what you need to do with that particular piece or instrument that you're trying to play. Is that what yeah. I'm hearing? Yes, that we need to read the message in every difficulty so that we do not repeat the mistake again. Because that difficulty is not some random thing that has come to us. Life is a perfect accountant. It gives to us what we qualify for in each moment. It's a perfect accountant. It keeps track of all our actions. And each action we perform has a specific consequence to it. But that consequence has its also specific germination period. Mm -hmm. right. it, may not, it may not germinate immediately, but it will germinate. And unwholesome action will germinate unless we take countermeasures to mitigate it. So when something happens, when a challenge comes our way, we must not think that it belongs to our neighbor, that idiot who plays loud music in the night. Nope. If the challenge came your way, you have planted the seed. You don't remember when you planted the seed, but that doesn't make, make you non-accountable. So accept it, read the message in the difficulty, learn and grow from it, and that's when you make the music. Correct. That's a nice analogy because it really hits this kind of situation in which we, we are accountable for our actions. Absolutely. And people sometimes have not been attuned to, as you're tuning to the different instruments, that we are accountable. And therefore, it's the law of cause and effect. What we send out is going to come back to us. And the timing of that is not our time, but it's God's time. He knows the cycles of the rhythms that, and things need to happen our way. So when we look at that from that enlightened perspective, then we approach 
the particular type of situation that is coming our way in a more holistic way and not just think that to blame this person or to be angry at this particular situation that is confronting me, but to realize it's here showing itself. And now what we do, what we have is choice, the choice of how we want to handle that. And so that's what God says. You know what? It's really about how you're going to choose the high road or you're going to choose the low road <laughs> and dealing with the situation. But whatever road you choose, you either accrue good karma or you accrue bad karma <laughs> in terms of this law you're of cause and effect. You're just compounding the difficulty by meeting a challenge incorrectly. You only compound the difficulty. You don't erase it. Correct. And what we're ultimately willing to do with the soul wants is be an alchemist. The yes. soul wants us to be an alchemist, to transmute, mm -hmm. to transcend, to be able to understand <laughs> what you need to learn from that particular lesson and choice. So then it doesn't have to worry about it again. It moves on to the next initiation and test and opportunity given. Yes, because unless we purge ourselves from all the negative consequences we have accumulated from living incorrectly in the past, unless we purge ourselves of those consequences, mind doesn't clear. So when I did my when I started my practice in earnest in, in the US in college, there were waterfalls coming out of my eyes. Three Olympic-sized swimming pools I filled up with my tears. And I was doing laps. Because we're so unconscious of all the pain we're carrying within ourselves, all the non-forgiving, all the anger, the resentment. It has to come out. And I didn't, I was not forcing it out, just being quiet. Just like when you cut your body, it knows how to heal. When you're quiet, your heart knows how to heal. And then the tears of forgiveness, the tears, of, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, I love you. As the catharsis takes place, you know, the warmth takes place after the purging is magnificent. So when challenges come our way, it's an invitation to purge the negative karma from the past. Mm -hmm. To meet the challenge incorrectly is to compound the difficulty and the challenge will come in a different form, from a different side. And it'll keep coming till we learn to love it and transcend it. Right. Nicely said. And that is so paramount. That's why we keep on getting in this round of rebirth. Because yes. another opportunity, another opportunity, another opportunity to learn, You're just to learning. love. I'm not learning fast yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. I love that analogy about the music and about the convergence and the awareness that the more we stay awake, like the Buddha said, I am awake. Well, he was awake to many different spheres and opportunities and awareness that he garnered in sitting on the booty tree. <laughs> um, that allowed him to now teach that to others and to bring greater enlightenment. Because I believe that we live many regards on a sleep planet. <laughs> People are sleeping. As I said, the four states back in part, you know, one, that one of that is a lot of people are living in this, a sleep state, but there are some who really want to get out of the sleeping and move into the awakening. And, and so some of what you're doing in your practice, as well as in your teachings, is helping people become more fully awake in love. Yes. If there's anything that you want to additionally say from what we've been talking about in this part two, 
please do so. But also, is there kind of a statement or, or phrase that you want to leave with our seekers that would help them to contemplate more deeply about what we've shared so far? What I would like to share is everything in life worth achieving requires practice. Everything in life worth achieving requires skilled practice. In fact, life is nothing but a practice session in perfecting ourselves. And the greater our mastery in perfecting ourselves, the more enjoyment we experience in, in this world. But when we have no mastery over our mind and over those impulses that lead us towards wrongdoing, we become our own worst nightmare. So all mastery is self-mastery. The greater the mastery, the more joyous and the more insightful we become. So please, ladies and gentlemen, whoever is listening, go for it. You have it in you. You are born with immeasurable resources to change your trajectory from average being into a spectacular one. But it requires practice, supervised practice, not, not the Lone Ranger mentality. We all need guidance. The Buddha also required guidance. He trained with two of the best teachers of his time before he set off on his own. Get away from the Frank Sinatra syndrome. I did it my way. And look for teachers in your area or wherever you can find them to help you see those blind spots that you're not seeing to move forward in your life. Well, thank you so much. Because, you know, when you said Frank Sinatra doing it my way. Yes. Wow. The soul wants you, wants you to say, do it God's way. Yes, correct. <laughs> uh, well, we have been conformity with life. Yes. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you and having these conversations. And I, I think our, our seekers are probably very delighted to hear your pearls of wisdom mm -hmm. that allows them to reflect and think in a different way. And take the first step or several steps, if they've already taken, to do it God's way through their soul yes. and through the immensity of love and cultivating that love in themselves. So I want to say, Seekers, bye for now. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me for this episode on Mastering Life's Avengers, being your best self through soul evolution. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, I would be delighted if you would share this episode with others. Leave a thumbs up and subscribe to my Master in Life's Adventures podcast. Look forward to your joining the next episode. Please leave any comments or suggestions you might have below. Bye for now.